Good morning. It's good to see you guys. We are looking at Mark chapter 10. Uh, while we're doing that, a couple of announcements. November 14th, uh, we got a couple of events I want to make you aware of. Uh, we have a grieving ministry here, and from 3 to 5 on November 14th, there's an opportunity for people that are grieving to be encouraged as we enter in the holidays. It's, it's a tough time to grieve during the holidays, so uh, this is an opportunity for you. Uh, there's more info on the bulletin board in the back there, so check that out. Or you can see Miss Mary, who, who coordinates that. Um, also on the 14th, we're going to do a Q&A, uh, just a church Q&A. I'm going to talk to you about kind of our church leadership structure and kind of who we are, our values, our vision, and kind of the direction that we're going. And we have done this in the past, but it's been before COVID. A lot of you guys have come since then. Uh, so I'd encourage everybody to come, get a refresher, or just be introduced more to who we are and what we're about. Uh, and then we'll open up for question and answer, which is always interesting, and you never know what some of y'all are going to ask, uh, so uh, it could be a lot of fun. So that'll happen November 14th. It's a Sunday at 6 p.m. Uh, this afternoon at 3 p.m., I'm going to be at the courthouse. Uh, there's a group of us that are going to meet down there and pray. Uh, Trinity Church of God, which is just down the road, a guy named Billy Keller is the pastor there. He's kind of coordinating that. Uh, so if you would, join me at 3 p.m. today at the courthouse, and we're just going to pray uh, because we believe in a prayer prayer. Amen. Uh, so come and hang out with me then. Mark chapter 10 is where we're hanging out today. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles there. Um, we are studying the gospel of Mark verse by verse, line by line, because it forces me to preach things I'd rather not preach about. Uh, and it forces me to teach on things that are not as comfortable teaching on, such as our passage today. Um, so brace yourself. Uh, Jesus Christ, Mark says, comes to establish a kingdom. Uh, Jesus describes this kingdom as a heavenly kingdom, and Jesus presents himself as a king. Jesus is a flawless king. He's an undefeated king. He's a king that never gets flustered. He's a king that will never leave you nor forsake you. He's a king you can always depend on, not just to protect you, not just to provide for you, but to guide you, to guide you. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life abundantly. And so this is kind of what we believe as a church. We believe that the words found in this book are not just suggestions. It's not just like, a, you know, some self-help kind of a deal. We believe these are the words of life. And so these words are the words of the kingdom. And uh, these words here, these are the distinctives. This is what makes the kingdom the kingdom. This is what makes heaven heaven. And if you try and disconnect these words from heaven, then guess what? You don't have heaven anymore. If you, if you try and disconnect these words from heaven, then, then now heaven isn't heaven anymore. It sabotages it. And so that's why we take these words real seriously. That's why we preach these words. That's why we're trying to live by it. Because we believe these words are leading us to a heavenly place. So in Mark chapter 9, we're in this section, sort of really start about Mark chapter 9, where Jesus gets real specific, specific about the distinctives of the kingdom of heaven. Last week I talked to you about um, that Christ our King calls us to be radically devoted to purity and radically devoted to one another. Today I want to show you uh, through Jesus' words that Christ has called us to be radically devoted to marriage. Radically devoted to marriage. Let's all stand together as we read God's word. He set out from there and went, from, went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, 
Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if anyone divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Lord, that you do not change like shifting shadows, Lord. That you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Lord, that you don't need the culture to tell you how to operate. You've got it all figured out. Lord, we praise you that we can count on you. We praise you that you're a solid rock foundation so that when the storms beat against the house, the house will not crumble. Lord, give us the wisdom, the strength, the obedience, the desire that we might build our life on this foundation. Father, I pray you'll speak through me. I pray that I speak clearly. Lord, what your word is and not my, my word, Lord. They don't need anything from me, the people here, people watching online. I'm, I'm not any better than anybody. They need something from you. So Holy Spirit, please have your way in this place today. Do what only you can do. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Mark chapter 10 Beginning in verse 1, Jesus left from Galilee. He's in a region called Galilee, and he travels through Judea, and he goes across the Jordan. Um, This is, across the Jordan is a place called Perea, and this is the kingdom of Herod the Great. Uh, Perea is the kingdom of Herod the Great, and it's on the east side of the Jordan River Valley. The crowds converge on Jesus there in Perea, And he begins to teach them. And he's teaching them the truth of God. Now, this is something that you'll see all throughout the scriptures. And this is something you're going to see in your life. Whenever the truth is proclaimed, whenever the truth is proclaimed, there's going to be enemies that come against the truth. Isn't that a reality? Haven't you seen that? Every time you speak the truth, there's going to be trolls. There's going to be deceivers. There's going to be dissenters. There's going to be confusers. There's going to be selfish people. And they're going to come against whatever truth is being proclaimed. And that's what we see right here. Verse 2, some Pharisees came to test him, asking a loaded question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, Matthew also records this event, and he adds the detail. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? For any reason. This is a loaded question. The Pharisees do not desire to learn what Jesus has to say on this. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to derail his mission. There's a couple things going on here. First and foremost, divorce, much like in our day, in their day was commonplace. It was commonplace. Uh, The Pharisees, who were the spiritual leaders, they were supposed to be the ones that were were setting the example for everybody else. They were the ones that were supposed to know the scriptures and live out the scriptures so that everybody could follow in their example. Even the Pharisees and the priests were getting divorced for their wives for any and every reason. Now, part of the reason they were motivated to do that, there was a rabbi who lived about 20 years before this. His name was Hillel. 
And uh, he taught that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. He actually said this, for any reason, unload that woman. For any reason, unload that woman. So men throughout the region, starting from the religious people all the way at the top, the Pharisees, all the way down to the common man, they divorced their wives for any and every reason. Now I wanna give you a few examples of some of the reasons that are recorded in history that they divorced their wives. Uh, If a woman let her hair down in public, her husband could divorce her. If a woman, some, this would really throw some of y'all off. If a woman made a negative comment about her mother-in-law out the door, she'd get divorced. Some of y'all would be in trouble. If she turned too quickly in the marketplace, you see they wore dresses like long robes that would oftentimes drag the, the ground. If she turned too quickly in the marketplace and her dress rose up enough to where her ankle was exposed, her husband could divorce her for that. If she burnt this, some of y'all ladies would be in trouble. If she burnt the biscuits, she could get divorced for that. If the husband found another woman that he preferred more, he thought was more attractive or more intelligent or better fit, he could divorce his wife for any and every reason, just like it is today, correct? For any and every reason. So they're asking Jesus this question because the crowd, by and large, they agree with this concept of divorcing their wife for any and every reason. And so they know Jesus is going to speak against that. And they're hoping that Jesus' truth, his hardline truth, will turn the crowd against him. Here's the other thing that they're really hoping. Perea is the kingdom of Herod the Great. Do you guys remember about Herod the Great? Herod the Great divorced his wife so that he could marry his brother's wife. You remember this story. And then John the Baptist publicly called out Herod. He said, this is sin. You shouldn't be doing this. And what happened to John the Baptist? Got his head cut off, right? And they're hoping that Jesus will make such a statement that Herod will have no choice but to also cut Jesus' head off. That's what they're hoping will happen. So this is a loaded question. They're trying to trap Jesus. Is this also a loaded question today? There's a lot of loaded questions that our culture is asking over and over, and they're not really concerned about the answer. They're not really interested in hearing what the Bible has to say about it. Instead, they're trying to trap you. They're trying to accuse you. They're trying to expose you as something that goes against the culture, the zeitgeist, the religion of the day. Now, how do we respond to the loaded questions? Here's the truth of the matter. No matter how loaded they are, we still have to be ready to give an account for the things that we believe. That's what the scriptures teach us. We have to be ready to give an answer, even when it's a loaded question, because we believe that these words are the words of life. We believe that these words are the words that usher in the kingdom. They're the words that are going to help the kingdom to break out in this world. And so we've got to be able to speak confidently and boldly and without apology, the words of God. So how do we answer a loaded question? Look at Jesus, verse three, he replied, what did Moses command you? So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. John chapter one says, Jesus is the logos. He's the word become flesh. Jesus said of himself, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Jesus, this man who is king of all creation, he does not appeal to his logic or his personal preference or opinion, even though he has every right to do that. Instead, Jesus answers a loaded question by quoting the Bible. 
He says, what does Moses command? So here's a good rule of thumb as you're out there and you're trying to answer a loaded question, quote God. You can't go wrong in quoting God. Here's the truth. Christ is Lord of all. Let me say that again. He is Lord of all. He is Lord of politics. He's Lord Lord of economics. He's Lord of entertainment. He's Lord of business. He's Lord of education. He is Lord over everything in this whole universe. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ is sovereign over every sphere. And so if he says it, that settles it. There's no debate. There's no more conversation that needs to be had. If Jesus clearly says it, then it's clearly true. So don't apologize that you take God for his word. When you're answering some of these loaded questions, as a Christian, it is your right and your responsibility to point back to the Bible and say, this is what is true and this is who I am. You don't have to apologize for that. Point them back to God's word. And here's the flip side of that coin. As a Christian, guess, friends, you cannot argue, you don't have the right to argue with the word of God. It's impossible to change the Bible to match your preferences. You can try to. You can get the Sharpie out and, and color it in. You can take that page and you can rip it out of the Bible. You can get a whiteout pen, mark it through. But guess what? The heavens declare the glory of God. The universe is structured by God with a specific order, with a plan and a purpose. And no matter how much you deny it, the truth of God will manifest itself in your life and in this world. And so you might as well upfront submit to its authority because it's going to play true in your life because it's the reality of things. And so don't try to change the Bible, friends. Let the, ch- the Bible change you. Verse four, they said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. Now, this is a good opportunity to remind you. I'm going to look up something. I took a picture. I, I might have misquoted this person first service. I don't want to do it this service. But let me remind you today, you need to study the Bible for yourself. You don't just take my word for it. People that you know on TV, listen to on the radio, people that have been trusted uh, uh, guides in the past, don't just take their word for it. You need to get into scriptures for yourself and you need to know what God says for yourself. Satan is the father of lies. He's the father of lies and he's the master at confusion. What did Satan say to Adam and Eve in the garden? Adam had a face-to-face conversation with God. Face-to-face. He didn't read it in a book. He had a face-to-face conversation with God. And God said, don't eat from that tree. And what did Satan say? Did God really say? And it worked. He's a master. And that's been his game throughout all of history to get you to question what God clearly teaches and what God clearly says. And so that's why you've got to go to the scriptures for yourself. Friends, there are all sorts of progressive theologians, um, people, liberal pastors, people that are in many ways sheeps in wolves' clothes, or they've been deceived. And if you aren't careful, you'll also be led astray. Just this past week, there was a reverend that got all sorts of views on a TikTok video. I'll put reverend in quotes. And he said, 
He says, when I read Jesus, I read Jesus with a hermeneutic of suspicion. Now, that's theological language for saying this. When I read Jesus, I don't take Jesus at his word. Instead, I put it through the filter of what I know culturally. That's what he said. And this is a reverend. Uh, There is a magazine called Relevant Magazine. You've probably seen it before if you've been through uh, maybe a a, a dentist's office that was a Christian or maybe in the foyer of a church somewhere. You've probably seen this magazine, uh, a very widely publicated Christian magazine. They published an article just this past week. Here was the heading of the article. The heading of the article was this. The Bible has become an idol. The Bible has become an idol. And this is the argument that they made in this article, that the sufficiency of Scripture and knowing God is not uh, full. In other words, you can't trust the Bible to know God. You also need to lean on other things. Guys, that is totally, totally wrong. But this is a once-trusted source. Many of you, I have, uh, watched sermons from a guy named Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick, one of the most powerful preachers you'll ever hear. But let me, let me read to you something that he, he put on his Facebook page this week. He said this, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. What would it be like to see the you that God sees? Now that sounds great, but it's totally against the scriptures. First Corinthians teaches us, in Christ you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That is the heart of the gospel, that we're sinners. And we need to be changed. We need to be given a new heart. And so this is contrary. This is a person, a once trusted source. And all this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Be careful. Be careful. Make sure you know the scriptures for yourself. You see, the Pharisees, they were the leaders. They were religious leaders of the day. And this is what they're saying to their community. It's fine to divorce your wife for any and every reason. We've got scriptural, Moses even said so. But what did Moses really say? Deuteronomy chapter 24. If a man marries a woman, this is Moses, but she becomes displeased, she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent. I'm going to come back to that word, indecent about her. He may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. Now, this word indecent is only used one other time in the first five books of the Bible. It's only used one other time. Now, as you're studying the Bible for yourself, this is a good, good little tool for you. Whenever you see a word that's an important word, the way to uh, kind of get a definition for that word is to see how it's used in other places. So this word is used in the chapter right before this, Deuteronomy chapter 23. Now, the topic of this chapter It's going to feel a little bit weird, but just go with me. There's a lot of this in this sermon. The topic of chapter 23 of Deuteronomy is Moses is telling people what to do when they have to take a number two. Deuce, sweaty D. He says, when you got to use the bathroom, go out of the camp, take a shovel with you, dig a hole, do your business, and then cover back over the hole. And this is what he says. He says, to leave it uncovered, can you guess the word he used? Is indecent. To leave it uncovered is indecent. And so when Moses talks about divorcing your spouse, he's not talking about burnt biscuits. He's talking about a big, steaming, stinking pile of something serious is what he's talking about. Verse 2, if after leaving his house, she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the second man hates her, writes her a divorce certificate, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house, or if he dies, and so... 
Uh, this week, I was meeting with one of my mentors. He's a 75-year-old pastor, and he, he filled me in on some cultural information. He told me J-Lo and Ben Affleck got divorced, and then she, re- she married, some of y'all know this, she married A-Rod, so J-Lo and A-Rod were together, and then they've recently gotten a divorce, and now Ben Affleck and J-Lo are trying to get back together again, Okay. So I don't know how the 70-year-old pastor knew this, and I didn't know it, but he filled me in. And so what would Moses have to say? Because this, this is the situation he's describing. What would Moses have to say? Verse 4, the first husband who sent her away may not marry her again after she's been defiled because that would be detestable to the Lord. So here's the command from Moses. Ben Affleck, you cannot remarry J-Lo. Well, why? How come? Moses, inspired by God, wanted to motivate every married man to think so seriously before he leaves the mother of his children, before he leaves his first love, before he leaves the one he's been intimate with. He wanted them to be so sure, think very carefully, because once it's over, once it's over, you can't go back. Verse 4 continued, you must not bring guilt on the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And so he connects this this willy-nilly divorce, this divorce for any reason, with bringing a curse on the land. Moses says this attitude of willy-nilly divorce, this attitude of uncommitted marriage is shameful to the Lord. It brings a curse on the land. It causes problems for society at large. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we see? I'll talk more about that next week. What's what's God's attitude towards divorce? What did God think about it? Look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will uh, curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. And so God is talking to the priests. He's talking to the leaders of the community, religious leaders of the community. They had just come out of exile. They were in exile because they were idol worshipers. And that exile broke them of that. 70 years they were there. God released them to come back to the promised land. There they are in Jerusalem. They stopped worshiping idols, but they're not worshiping God with their whole heart. They're going through the motions. They're just checking boxes. Uh, it's, It's like a lukewarm, like revelation, lukewarm in their faith. Uh, honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from them. And God says, I can see right through your fake worship, and I'm going to bring a curse on you. Look at verse 3. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. They have so dishonored God that he's going to take dung, number two, and smear it all over their faces. What in the world have they done to so offend God? Look at verse 11. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. Verse 13, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? Why, God, won't you listen to our prayers? Why do we feel so far from you? Verse 14, it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. The men of Israel, even the priests, who were supposed to be the example, they were divorcing their wives, the wives of their youth, 
and marrying foreign women that didn't worship God. And so God no longer accepted their worship. He said, it's hollow, it's meaningless, it's empty. You worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And I can tell because you're leaving your wives. Verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Divorce dishonors God. It brings a curse on the land. And it's a sign that your heart is far from God. That's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 5. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your heart. Why do people get divorced? Well, in our day and age, I've heard all sorts of reasons. I've been doing ministry for a long time now, and unfortunately, I've been privy to a lot of divorces. I've been to divorce court multiple times. People drag me in there. It's not a good place to be. Here are some of the reasons that I've heard. He's not the one. We fell out of love. She gained weight. He doesn't make enough money. These are some of the things I have heard, reasons for people leaving their spouse. Now, there are, I think it's important to note, a couple of biblical reasons, biblically approved reasons for divorce. The most obvious is adultery. Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, but I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, Jesus says, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. Another case that is an exception, Paul makes the exception for divorce in the case of being unequally yoked with a non-believer. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. If the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. And so if your spouse... Uh, even if they claim to be a Christian and they leave you and they don't want to work on a, on a resolution, okay, then you're free to let them go. You're no longer bound in that situation. They're going to act like an unbeliever and divorce you for no reason. Verse three, uh, another reason that I, can, I think we can make a case for, um, at, at the very least, separation from an unrepentant, abusive spouse. I think we can make a case for that. But this idea of irreconcilable differences is not biblical. And that's what's written on most marriage or divorce certificates, unreconcilable differences. Divorce for any and everything is less than Christian. Jesus said, God through Moses permitted what he hated because people have hard hearts. Hard-heartedness, a sinful heart is the cause of most divorces. Adam and Eve, they were in paradise. Beautiful. God had provided everything. This is God's idealized state. And this is what God said to Adam and Eve. Um, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And so this is what God's intention was. He wanted what they found in the garden. God wanted Adam and Eve to take it and expand it over the whole earth. But what did Adam and Eve do? They, They ate the forbidden fruit. They did the one thing God asked them not to do. And as a result, they were cursed. They were kicked out of the garden. And Adam was cursed because now, from now on, he has to labor and toil to protect and provide for his family. The, it was easy to provide in the garden. He enjoyed providing in the garden. Now, all of a sudden, it's, you know, you're working for the man. Now, all of a sudden, it's hard work. Now, all of a sudden, you don't enjoy it. Now, all of a sudden, it's difficult. Eve was cursed with suffering during childbirth. My wife would also say morning sickness is part of that, and I probably agree with her. Now, there was a third curse, and this was a curse placed on both of them, and most people forget about this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. He said to the woman, I'll intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with 
painful effort. Here's the, the thing that most people forget. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will roll over you. Now, the word desire here is not in a sexual way. Some of you husbands can say yes and amen to that, but don't do that out loud. The word here is used in the very next chapter. Let me read it to you. God is talking to Cain. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It's what? It's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God says, Cain, sin desires to control you. In the same way, Eve, you will desire to control your husband. So instead of this beautiful picture in the garden, they're naked and they felt no shame. They were fully known and fully loved. They were fully exposed and fully accepted. It couldn't be any more beautiful. It couldn't be any more glorious. It couldn't be any more of a gift. Instead of that, what we see in our world today, we see in, instead of a husband who compassionately and sacrificially leads and a woman who graciously submits, we see overbearing husbands and domineering wives. In our culture, in our world, we see sinful, strong-willed women who wants her way and an equally sinful and strong-willed man who wants to dominate her. We see radical feminism versus toxic chauvinism. Divorce isn't a blessing. Divorce is an indication of the curse of sin in your life. Divorce is what happens when a sinful man and a sinful woman do what comes naturally to them. Divorce is the outcome of Satan having his way in a marriage. Divorce doesn't happen in the Garden of Eden. Divorce is a sign that you're no longer living within the plan and purpose of God. Eric and I, we knew a woman, we were friends with a woman for a long time, and she was married to one of the kindest, sweetest men I have ever known in my life. This man worked tirelessly day and night to provide a beautiful life for his wife and his children. And he bent over backwards to please this woman. Anything that she asked, he would do everything to provide for. He literally worshiped the ground this woman walked on. But this woman, as much as this man loved this woman, this woman did not love this man. And she would tell my wife and I, she would tell us, I love him, but I'm not in love with him. She says, I love him like a friend. I don't love him like a lover. The only reason I married him is because I knew he would, he would be a good provider. They had two children together. They were married for 15 or 20 years. And then one day she just left him out of the blue. Turns out after some investigation, she had been having an affair with her high school sweetheart their whole marriage. We tried to talk her out of it and stick with the marriage but this is what she said to us. This is how she justified her decision. I know the Bible says that divorce is a sin, but leaving my husband and being with my high school sweetheart is what will make me happy. And God loves me so much, I know he wants me to be happy. Friends, that is not honoring God. That is worshiping self. That's like burning your neighbor's house down in order for you to have a better view. No regard for her children. No regard for the husband who bent over backwards to provide for her a beautiful life for 20 years. This is not of God. This is of Satan. Next week, I want to talk to you. I want to look at this passage again next week, and I want to talk to you about why and how to make a marriage work. 
But I want to close our time together by looking at verses 9 and following. Therefore, Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Divorce is undoing a miracle of God. Adam and Eve, they undid, tried to undo the work of God in the Garden of Eden. How did that work out for them? It wasn't a pleasant experience, right? It wasn't Christian mingle or definitely wasn't tender. It wasn't your college roommate's girlfriend's cousin who set you up. It wasn't your good looks or your slick pickup lines that brought you and your spouse together. Friends, it was God himself that joined you together. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. Only God has the right to separate you and your spouse. Verse 10, when they were in their house again, the disciples questioned Jesus about this matter. Why are they having to question him? It's not complicated, is it? They're questioning him because it's in our nature to overthink and overcomplicate the clear teachings of Scripture when it goes against our sinful desires or cultural norms. So Jesus says it even more directly, verse 11 and 12. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So a couple takeaways. There's really two audiences here today. Two audiences, a primary audience and a secondary audience. I'm going to talk to the secondary audience first. Secondary audience are those of you here today or watching online who have been married and divorced. This message is not directed at you. I don't want anybody leaving here feeling beat up or being, feeling singled out. Where the Bible speaks clearly, we will speak clearly, but we are speaking in love for your good. Jesus says, clear as day, if you've married and divorced for any other reason besides what we talked about today, and you've been remarried, you have sinned. It's a sin. You either sinned in marrying your first spouse to begin with, or you sinned in divorcing from that person. Now, that isn't to say that beautiful things didn't come out of that, the, that divorce relationship. It isn't to say that beautiful things aren't happening now. It's not to say that. It is to say that you have missed the mark of God's original design for your marriage. So what should you do? Divorce and remarriage is a sin, but it is not an unforgivable sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. There's only one sin God won't forgive, and that's the, the sin of unbelief. God will forgive all your sins. Whatever led to that divorce, God will forgive it if you confess, if you repent. I want you to be reminded today of the woman that was caught in adultery. Do you remember this story? She was caught in the act. She's naked. She got a sheet wrapped around her. The, these religious men, they've got stones in their hand. They drag her at the feet of Jesus. And again, they're trying to test Jesus. They're putting him in a difficult situation. And they say, the law calls for us to stone this woman to death. And what does Jesus say? He says, let the one without sin cast the first stone. Friends, I want you to know that there is no person in this room who's going to cast stones at you. If you've been divorced and remarried, no matter what your sin is, none of us have a place to cast stones. None of us. But friends, we're going to call sin, sin. We've got to. We've got to because sin leads to death. God's gift is eternal life. And so we want to pursue God's gift. Amen. And so we got to call sin a sin. But understand, Jesus said, if you've looked 
with lust upon another person. You've committed adultery with that person in your life, in your heart. Guess what? We're no better. I am no better than a divorced person. We've all sinned. Amen? We've all sinned. And so there's no stones here to be cast. Understand that. Jesus said, let the one without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, the accusers dropped their stones and they walked away. Jesus said, where are your accusers? She looks up and there's nowhere. She says, nobody's here. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And so friends, understand today, no matter what led to that divorce, there is forgiveness available to you. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus' name. I've preached this message before and people came up to me afterward and they said, I have lived for years and years and years with all sorts of guilt and shame. I thought because I was divorced and remarried that I was a second class Christian. I thought God wouldn't hear my prayers. I thought God would never forgive me. And I want you to know today there is forgiveness in Jesus' name. You can walk out of this place without any burden of guilt or shame or or condemnation because you are forgiven. Amen? You're forgiven. Now, here's the key. If you've been divorced and remarried, does that mean you need to divorce the person you're currently with in order to make things right? What does Jesus say the last thing to that woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Here's the key. If you messed up on your first marriage, make it right in this one. If you messed up on your first marriage, whatever led to the divorce in your first marriage, it's not going to happen again. I'm not going to let those same sins derail the Eden that God is trying to build in my life today. Go and sin no more. Honor God in this marriage. Protect this covenant at all costs. Amen? Primary audience for this message, and this is what I've been very prayerful about, are those in this room who are young, married, single, or sin- married or single people. Marriage is very hard. Amen? Don't say it too enthusiastically. <laughs> Marriage is very hard. And divorce is easy. It's the norm in our culture. And so you will be tempted throughout your marriage to call it quits. If you haven't already, you will be. And when things get hard and you'll start talking to your friends about it, asking for advice, there's going to be all sorts of people giving you, just get divorced. Just get divorced. It's not a big deal. Everybody gets divorced. It's just not going to work out. But that isn't what people in God's kingdom do. We, as Christ followers, are radically devoted to marriage. So I charge you today, resolve yourself that divorce is not an option. It's not. Resolve yourself today. We are going to do everything that we can possibly do to make this marriage work. I want you to erase divorce from your vocabulary. Don't even use the word. I don't care how much she gets on your nerves. I don't care how much he doesn't listen. Never, ever, ever use that word. Ever. It's not an option for us. It's not an option. And let me tell you something. If you're committed to it, this is what I tell people. They come to me and they lay out some Jerry Springer stuff. Y'all remember Jerry Springer? And there's this couple on the stage and then they're like, oh, I hate you, and I'm cheating on you with your boyfriend, or your, your brother, and, and then, uh, you know, the other person comes out, and then they end up being cousins, and they didn't know it, and it just it gets wild. <laughs> I've been, 
And, and they come in, these married people come in, they bring some Jerry Springer stuff, and they're like, I don't know how I'm going to work out. Listen to me. If you have Jesus and you are 100% committed, I don't care how bad it is, it can work out. It can. And so I want you to know, as a church, we are committed to your marriage. You are not in this battle alone. We will do anything and everything we can to help you see it through. Marriages that should have ended by the world standard, there was no way they're still together and they're happier than ever. It can happen. It can happen. But you got to be committed and you got to have Jesus radically devoted to marriage. And you know what that does? It sets us apart. It sets us apart in a world that's full of divorce, in a world of full of broken homes and broken families. We have marriages that are life-giving. It only happens when we're committed to it. It only happens when we associate divorce with taking a number two, right? It's not an option. It's not an option. We're committed to it. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. It is, it is life to us, Lord, and we want to guard it. We want to protect it. We want to live by it. Help us. Lord, if there's any person in this room who's carrying around guilt and shame and regret, Lord, I pray it'll melt away today as they confess their sins and as they sum submit to you. Lord, I pray if there's any person in this room who's far from you, who doesn't feel like they have a connection with you, Lord, I pray that you'll give them the strength and the courage to come and talk to me so that I can tell them about their next steps. Lord, help us, help us to forget the word divorce and help us to be radically committed to our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you're here today and you need to be prayed for, just come kneel at the altar. We would love to pray for you. This is also an opportunity to be reminded of the body and blood of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, it compares our marriage a marriage between, a relationship between a husband and a wife, it compares it to the relationship that Christ has with the church. And that Christ laid down his life for his bride. That makes you the bride. He's the bridegroom. He's the husband. And here's the reality about Jesus Christ, the head of our house. Here's the reality about it. You are an adulterer. You cheated on him. You ran around on him. You did everything that you could possibly do to make him leave you, but he was radically devoted to you. He never gave up on you, no matter all the reasons that you gave him. And so as we sing this song, if you haven't taken those emblems, you come up here and you take that body and that blood and you say, thank you, Jesus, that you sacrificed Thank you, Jesus, that you were this committed to me. And as you're reminded of his radical love for you, be motivated to express a radical love for him. Come as we sing.